Well, this is a podcast that I've been looking forward to for some time now. Anytime I get a chance to talk to Ken Ham is a good day. It's a blessed day. And <laughs> I am so excited to have Ken on the program because I have a host of questions for him uh, regarding uh, the doctrine of the creator and the doctrine of creation, of course. That's what uh, Ken is most known for in Answers in Genesis. Uh, but at any rate, Ken, welcome to the program. It's good to be with you. Good to see you, brother. You just like having me on because you like to hear the Aussie accent. That's what it is. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, this is video as well, and people are going to get the audio, but uh, you're in a very Aussie kind of ambiance there. You got, you got a, a whole tree of life behind you, and I mean, you've really got the whole setting. As long as it's not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But uh, now I'm at the Creation Museum, and this is in my office looking out over the, the lake and the gardens at the Creation Museum. You mean to tell me you don't have the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the Ark Encounter Museum yet? <laughs> uh, Maybe in paintings, and we have it here in the walk through the Bible at the Creation Museum. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, that's I think that's one of the neatest parts about going out there is that you you go to both not just the ark encounter but the creation museum it's a total experience man it's great yeah these are the two leading christian themed attractions in the world and they complement each other personally you know i like the creation museum the best because that was the first burden that goes back to the 70s and my school teaching days and it's really got a much more in-depth message of the bible but they're both world-class facilities and of course the ark is very iconic you know with with the actual timber frame structure life-size uh, Noah's Ark, which is a very unique building. Some people even call it, you know, the eighth wonder of the world. It is absolutely amazing. Well, I can see how they can do that. It's that's easy to do. It's it's absolutely staggering, especially when you're there. Even when you see it, like driving in, you know how you bus in and you come into the whole tour. It's not until you're actually right at the foot of the Ark that you really get a kind of a feel for how immense that. Th- it took what three years to construct that thing. Well, actually, it was 20 months construction time, and uh, the timber frame structure itself, which is 3.3 million board feet of timber, it's one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field, and built 15 feet off the ground, so it's seven stories high in the middle and 10 stories high at the bow. But the the timber frame structure itself took about nine months to build. We had Amish and Mennonite carpenters, about 90 of them that did that, just amazing, and hundreds of other contractors as well. Of course, the whole project took a few years from, you know, obtaining the land and then the architectural diagrams and so on. And when you get inside, it's sort of like, I don't know, you're probably, you're probably too young to remember Doctor Who. Uh, my, it's one of my science fiction programs I used to love, Doctor Who, and he had a telephone book, box called the TARDIS that was a time machine, and when you go in, it was bigger on the inside than the outside. Well, that's the sort of feeling you get when you go into the ark. It sort of feels bigger in the inside than on the outside because we have three decks all filled with exhibit, and it's just a massive timber frame structure. Oh, I know. I've spent several days there, and it, literally, if you want to, if you really want to go through the entire exhibit and read everything and learn everything, it's just overwhelming. Uh, it's, it's just awesome educational um, experience. But uh, I'll be there soon enough. Because I'm coming out for a conference, your pastor's conference. My understanding is that we've got quite a few people signed up for this. Uh, yes, we're going to have um, a thousand people, uh, maybe more, at mm. this particular conference. You know, a pastor's conference. It's really more than a pastor's conference. Christian leaders' conference. Actually, it's open to anyone. Uh, but uh, you know, we specifically, of course, want to direct it to those that 
uh, impacting others. And that could be a Sunday school teacher. It could be a parent, but it's primarily a pastors and Christian leaders conference. And this year it's called Culture and Church in Crisis. And we do have a culture and church in crisis in America and the whole Western world. I mean, we're losing generations from the church and the culture is becoming more anti-Christian and very secular and permeated with moral relativism, getting more so every day. And so we're covering that. We have some very special speakers this year. It's October 4 through October 6. And it's held in the Answer Centre, which is our conference centre at the Ark. We have a 25-seat, a 2,500-seat auditorium, massive LED screen and so on. We have some special music. It's a wonderful conference, but uh, we have, uh, well, I'll, I'll be speaking, but we have Joel Beakey, Dr. Owen Strawn, um, Martin Niles. Now, Martin Niles is from Australia. And he would be the leading conservative Christian voice right now in Australia, uh, leading a group called the Australian Christian Lobby. And they're doing a tremendous work in Australia, which is becoming more anti-Christian every day over there, very much, very much more socialist every day. So it's going to be very interesting uh, to hear from Martin Niles. He actually, as a high school student, was impacted by our ministry because uh, he heard me uh, speak back then. And so it's great to see how, you know, a ministry years and years ago impacted people who now are in ministry today uh, impacting uh, other people. And we have this other famous speaker, Emilio Ramos. Is that his name? Oh, I have um, no I never heard of the man. <laughs> apparently, he's supposed to be a dynamic speaker. And you're speaking on the last gospel oh, and the glory of the Creator, the last gospel. I thought there's only one gospel, Emilio. Yes, it's, uh, people, will have to, people will have to come and and register in order to find out what that even means. So they'll have to come and find that out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's we also right. have Tony Perkins and even Costi Hinn, uh, who's coming. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's going to be a very interesting conference. Very much so. Well, I'm excited about that. Um, just talking about the theme of the conference, we don't want to give away too much. You mentioned this a little bit, um, Ken, but one of the things I've always appreciated about your ministry, of course, I've been reading and consuming your guys' material uh, for decades now, uh, but um, because of the loss of a proper understanding of the Creator and His relationship to the creation, we have a culture and a church in crisis. Uh, you talked about the church a little bit. I just saw a report yesterday uh, I think it was Fox News or somewhere, uh, over 40% of American pastors are contemplating uh, quitting the ministry in America. They are completely um, weary. They are uh, they're burning out. Um, so add that on top of the cultural issues that the church is facing. But um, uh, this is no surprise to you because you understand how fundamental— the doctrine of creation and the creator is. Can you speak uh, exactly to that point? Because I, I think a lot of people are hitting all the symptoms. You know, there's the LGTB issue, there's the the woke issue, the CRT issue, the socialism, you know, whatever. But fundamentally, it's an issue of creator and creation, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, you know it's interesting, just um, as we lead up to this and thinking about those pastors you know, you said 40% or so. I saw, I saw the same report on that, thinking of quitting. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, in the Bible, we read about Jesus that they were astonished at his teaching because he spake as one having authority. And I think one of the problems we've got today is a, 
a lot of pastors can't really speak with authority because they don't really believe the authority or don't know how to understand the authority, and that is uh, the written word of God, because so many of them were trained in their theological co colleges and seminaries to, you know, Genesis 1 to 11 doesn't matter, and you can believe in evolution millions of years, and, you know, the most important thing is, you know, trust in Jesus. But I think a lot of these pastors have, have a lot of these younger generations that have gone through, most of them gone through a secular education system, and they're really permeated with uh, man's ideas of moral relativism, the LGBTQ uh, impact on, on the younger generation. We're losing younger generations from the church, and a lot of the church has tried increasing entertainment with, you know, performance praise teams on stage and all that, and none of it's worked. And, I mean, if I was a pastor in, in those circumstances, you'd think this, this is hopeless. I mean, things are getting worse. But I think part of the problem is because they haven't known how to how to train generations how to deal with all these issues. And you have a lot of people in the church right now saying, there's so many problems. I mean, we've got to deal with the abortion problem, the gay marriage problem, the transgender problem, the racism problem, the, the, the pedophilia problem. There's all these problems and we're overwhelmed. And I think, you know, I've spoken to pastors too, they're sort of overwhelmed. How do, how do we deal with all this? Well, here's the issue. They're all the same problem. See, once you understand how to think foundationally and how Christians should be thinking foundationally. And that is, where does your thinking come from? You don't pull your worldview out of the air. You don't pull your thinking out of the air. Your thinking has a foundation. And actually, there's only two foundations ultimately. That is God's word or man's word. And God's word begins with Genesis 1 to 11. And here's the thing. Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for the rest of the Bible. It's the foundation for all doctrine. It's the foundation for our Christian worldview. It's actually the foundation for everything. See, if you want to deal with any issue whatsoever, I'm going to, I'll make this statement. If you want to deal with any issue as a Christian, any issue, and for a lot of people they're saying, well, how do we deal with this one, that one, that any issue, you've got to start with the first 11 chapters of the Bible because that's the geological, biological, astronomical, anthropological history God has revealed to us that gives us the foundation for our worldview so we can deal with everything. Now, we mightn't have all the answers, but we can still deal with everything. I mean, if you want to deal with marriage, how do you deal with marriage issue, gay marriage? Okay, start from Genesis 1 to 11. God ordained marriage. He created marriage, you know, not Joe Biden or the Supreme Court justices. It's God who, who created marriage. And he created the first marriage when he made man from dust, woman from his side, and you become one because you're one flesh. Woman didn't come from an ape woman or, you know, man didn't come from a pre-existing hominid or anything like that. And then in Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and there'll be one flesh. That's the creation of marriage. So until you start there and also understand Genesis 1.27, God made man male and female. By the way, that's how you start to deal with gender. God made two genders to start with. And then when you want to deal with, well, why are there some exceptions you know, for instance, males have an XY pair of chromosomes, females XX, but there are others that have two Xs and a Y and three Xs. Wait, wait a minute, those those exceptions are very, very less, way less than 1%, way, a fraction of a percent. So it's out of the norm. Why? Well, I'll start with Genesis 1 to 11. We live in a fallen world because of sin. 
now things degenerate. Romans 8, the whole creation groans. There are, there are mutations, mistakes from one generation to the next that impact this world and impact us. You know, um, How do you deal with racism? You've got to start with Genesis 1 to 11. We all come from Adam and Eve um, through the eight people on the ark and then through an event called the Tower of Babel, which produces different people groups. But until you understand that human history, you can't even begin to deal with issues of racism uh, and prejudice. How do you deal with abortion? Well, you've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11 because God made man in God's image. He's not a, just an animal. Animals were made differently. You've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11 uh, that we're made in God's image. Right from fertilization, we have all the information that builds us. As God says in Psalm 139, he knits us together in our mother's womb. He, see, he saw our unformed substance. Uh, so you're 100% human with a unique combination of information right from fertilization. Abortion is killing a human being. I mean, how, how do you deal with, with issues like climate change? Well, you've got to start from Genesis 1 to 11 and understand the flood totally affected the world. There's been climate change ever since, but, uh, but God promised day and night, seed time and harvest, summer and winter are not going to cease uh, because he's made that promise. Man's not going to destroy the earth. We need to understand it's a fallen world, so everything natural is not good. It's fallen, so therefore we can clear some forests and clear out some of the undergrowth to protect forests. We could do controlled burns. We can look after the creation. Man has dominion over the creation. You see what I mean? We can go on and on and on. We could go on for millions of years uh, talking about <laughs> no, I don't yeah, believe in millions right. of years, talking about all this. But that's the point. Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for everything. And sadly, most of our Christian leaders have been indoctrinated to believe it's not important, doesn't matter, you can believe in evolution, millions of years. So therefore they can't speak authoritatively, they can't train up generations, they, they can't teach people how to deal with these issues. And, and the culture seems to get more overwhelming every day and, and we, you know, people don't know what to do and it's, it's a total disaster out there, it's a mess. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, it's always disappointing, you mentioned this a little bit, but you began talking about pastors that lack a backbone and they really don't have a foundation or they, they, they don't speak with authority. Um, and it's very disappointing to me every time I find out, you know, one of my, let's say one of the theologians I'm reading or something like that is an old earth uh, person or an age, age gap theory or something like that and believe in millions of, or if not billions of years. Um, Ken, what's wrong with that? Why, why can't... Why can't Christians have both uh, a belief that God created the world, but also, let's say, believe that Genesis is not speaking of literal 24-hour cycles of days in the creation week, but, but is more metaphorical or poetic or something like that, and in fact, science is a better authority on the age of the earth than the Bible. Why can't pastors and Christian theologians m maintain that position? Um, Amelia, you just asked me to give three one-hour lectures uh, based on <laughs> yeah. those questions that you asked. That's right. Um, but, okay, let me, let me sort of um, try to deal with all those things. First of all, you know, people say to me, couldn't God have used evolution? Couldn't God have done it over millions of years? The first thing I say is, it's not a matter of what God could have done. It's a matter of what he said he did. Now, 
That's very important. And by the way, no, I don't believe God could have used evolution or God could have used millions of years because that in itself would be an attack on the character of God. Because if you believe in millions of years, you believe there was death, bloodshed, diseases like cancer, which you see in bones in the fossil record, over millions of years before man, then you're blaming God for death, bloodshed, disease and suffering. The Bible makes it clear it's our sin that's responsible for that, that after God made everything, including man, he said everything he made was very good. But if the fossil record was laid down millions of years before man, then you've got God calling cancer very good because you've got cancer in bones in the fossil record, for instance. So, you know, that's an attack on the character of God. I mean, he tells us that death is an enemy. It's an intrusion. How can an enemy be something God calls very good and then uses that to bring us into existence? It does not fit. It does not fit with the character of God. He died on the cross because death was the penalty for sin and he conquered death. And one day there's going to be new heavens and new earth where there'll be no more death. In fact, death will be thrown into the lake of fire. So, you see, we've got to look at all those things. But the big issue that many Christians miss, and, you know, I found this is one of the hardest things to get across to, to a lot of Christian leaders and pastors. I, I find in some ways it's easier for the average person in the pew, in the churches, who start to get it. I think it's because people are so... Um, so, so indoctrinated by some of their professors and have such a respect and admiration for some of them that they don't really get this. But when you believe in evolution of millions of years, if you try to adhere to the gap theory, reinterpret the days of creation, whatever, it's, it's all an authority issue. If you go back to Genesis 3, what was the first attack ever? Genesis 3.1. Did God really say? The first attack was on the authority of the word of God. That's what the devil did, to get Adam and Eve to doubt God's word so that doubt would lead to unbelief, right? And then you can be as gods. You be your own God. You decide truth for yourself. You decide what's right and what's wrong. Now, if you jump over to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 11.3, God through the apostle Paul, and by the way, I often, I often say things like that. Instead of saying Paul says, I often say, God through the Apostle Paul. And the reason I do that is because I hear so many people saying, well, Paul was struggling with this, or Paul didn't know what about this, or Paul, you know, but wait a minute. When we're talking about the Word of God, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's the infallible, inerrant Word of God. So this is God's Word through the Apostle Paul. So I, I like people to understand that this is not just the Word of men. You know, as, as he says in Thessalonians, it is in truth the Word of God. So... Um, God, through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven three says, it's a warning, I'll paraphrase it for you. And it goes like this, beware, because the devil is going to use the same method on you, which means on your friends, your neighbors, on your, on your congregation, on your, on your kids, on your grandkids, on your Sunday school ki kids. He's going to use the same method as he did on Eve to get you to a position of not believing the things of God. That's the warning we're given in 2 Corinthians eleven three. So we should be saying, what was that method he used on Eve? The method was to create doubt in regard to the word of God because once you unlock that door of doubt, it can lead to unbelief. Now, as you go down through the ages, I call that the Genesis 3 attack, by the way. Mm. And if you go down through the ages, you'll find there were the Genesis 3 attack has never stopped since the garden, since Genesis 3, it's never stopped but it manifests itself in different ways in different times. Um, for instance, you know, Peter and Paul in the first century, 
uh, preaching about the resurrection, they wouldn't have been asked questions about carbon dating, uranium dating, or dinosaurs. I mean, the word dinosaur wasn't even invented till 1841. You know, Martin Luther, when he nailed those theses on the door of the church, he wouldn't have been asked questions about Darwin and natural selection. And, I mean, you know, those sort of things came much later, right? But they had to deal with attacks on the Word of God nonetheless, um, attacks on, you know, whether it was to do with um, the deity of Christ or to, to do with salvation by, by grace through faith and, and, and so on. But in our era, which I believe began in the 1800s, um, our era, there's been a particular Genesis 3 attack on the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And so today, you know, I've traveled around the world for the past 40 years. And it doesn't matter what country I'm in. Of course, I've spoken in all 50 states in America and, and uh, uh, much of the Western world. Uh, but it doesn't matter where I am, even a third world country. When people know you're on about Christianity or the Bible, uh, they'll ask the same basic questions. It, it usually has to do with, but we live in a scientific age. Science has disproved the Bible. I mean, because of science, you can't trust the Bible. And you mentioned the word science before. And that's another issue. When I was debating Bill Nye in 2014 at the Creation Museum, he said it's science versus the Bible. And I said, well, let's define science. It comes from the Latin scientia. It means to know. It means knowledge. And there's different sorts of knowledge. There's knowledge you can gain in the present using your five senses and build technology. And we can all agree on that. But when it comes to the past, your origins, that's different. But the world has used the one word science for evolution of millions of years and science for technology. And I've had theologians and pastors tell me that, you know, they said, if, if I don't believe in millions of years or evolution, I'm giving up science. And I believe in science because I drive a motor car and I have a computer. And I have to say to them, no, 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 that's totally different. They've used the same word science, but it means totally different things. One is talking about beliefs about the past. The other is talking about what you can observe and, and experiment with. And so... What happened back in the 1800s um, was that atheists who said, we don't, you know, we don't believe in God, the Bible's not true, um, Noah's flood never happened, so all those fossil layers had to be formed over millions of years. Now, they didn't see them formed over millions of years, but you know what happened at that stage? There were, there were church leaders like Thomas Chalmers, for instance, founded the Free Church of Scotland, who said, let's take the millions of years and put them in a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. That's where the gap theory came from. Others said, let's reinterpret the days of creation. Um, and then along comes Darwin and popularizes evolutionary ideas. And people say, well, let's say God used evolution. Along comes the Big Bang. Let's say God used the Big Bang. If you look what happened, th that door was unlocked that instead of taking the Bible as written, we'll start outside the Bible, go to the Bible and reinterpret it, add these ideas in. And the more you do that, as you unlock that door, you might just fit millions of years in or try to. And then it's evolution. And then before long, you're giving up a literal Adam and Eve. Um, you know, some people might have heard of William Lane Craig, who has an organization called Reasonable Faith. And he is at Houston Baptist University and also is, is a lecturer at um, Biola, you know, Talbot School of Theology at Biola. Um, he started off by believing in millions of years and adding it to the Bible. And now the latest things he's saying is that the whole literal account of Adam and Eve, he mocks at, actually. And he says that God could have taken hominids and caused mutations to turn one into Adam and one into Eve and so on. And see, my whole point is, 
once you unlock that door, the reason people don't believe in six literal days in our church or, or argue about it is not because of what the scripture says. Clearly, the Hebrew word yom used in Genesis 1 when it's in the context of qualified by evening and morning and number and the word night for day one as well, it always means an ordinary day. Clearly, from the Hebrew it does, the reason people doubt that and argue about it is because they've been, been impacted by the millions of years. We have to be asking ourselves, am I using ideas from outside of Scripture that are causing me to think the way I do, or am I really starting from Scripture? And when you tell generations, you can start out, you know, younger generations, you can start outside of Scripture to reinterpret the days or reinterpret Adam and Eve, why shouldn't they start with man's ideas of marriage and say, now we're going to reinterpret marriage? Why not do the same with abortion? Why not do the same with gender? And you see, it, it comes down to that issue of authority. And the Reformation was all about getting back to the authority of the Word of God. And now I believe the whole teaching of evolution of millions of years has undid, undone what the Reformation really uh, did. Yeah. And now we've got, we need a new Reformation to say, no, we need to get back to the authority of the Word of God. Then Genesis 1 to 11 is absolutely key to everything. Well, and I also want to emphasize that from the doctrine of creation in Genesis 1 through 11, um, two very important aspects of that, uh, Ken, that I want you to speak to is both the creator-creature distinction and the creator-creature relationship. In other words, if you look around the culture today, I think you'd agree. Matter of fact, when I was out at the ARC filming you for the, the, the project that we're doing with Peter Jones um, and... and uh, paganism and oneism and, and, and pantheism and those kinds of things, there's no doubt as you look out in the culture, it's becoming increasingly pagan. I mean, yoga is everywhere. Eastern meditation is everywhere. Um, you know, there's w websites. And if you look at YouTube and you just type in things like uh, mental wellness and meditation, I mean, there are videos with millions of views that are promoting this Eastern way of thinking. How does Genesis, how, why is it so important, therefore, in, in, in the account of Genesis to keep a proper distinction between the creator and the creature? Well, it's interesting, and again, we could talk for a long time about that, but, yeah. um, you know, first of all, if you read Genesis carefully, it tells us, for instance, Genesis one twenty seven that God made man in his image. Now, if, if, you, if you look in Genesis chapter 1 when he made the land animals, how did he make the land animals? He said, let the earth bring forth the animals. Um, and so he commanded and that happened. But with man, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So man is very different to the animals. Now, if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, an evolutionary perspective, somehow matter came about. They don't even try to answer that. I mean, why does it even exist? Why does energy exist? Why does space exist? Where did it come from? Why does, why does anything exist? Now, uh, uh, those who believe in naturalism have no idea. Why do we have the laws of nature? Why do they exist? Those laws are immaterial. Where'd they come from? Why do, why do we uh, have the laws of logic? They're immaterial. Where'd they come from? Why do they even exist? They can't even answer those questions. But what they're saying is matter somehow by itself gave rise to life. And gave rise eventually to humans. So we're all a part of this continuum, if you like, um, back to matter. So, so in a sense, we're all part of the universe. We're all, we're all part of uh, this creation. And 
We evolved by chance random processes and we're related to the animals and we're really no different to the animals. Now, the biblical distinction is man is made in the image and likeness of God. He's very, very different. If you go across to the Cincinnati Zoo, they have an ape exhibit, you know, just across the river here. And if you go to the ape exhibit, it has a big sign basically telling you you're visiting your family. And it tells you that there's no distinction. There's no distinction really between chimps and apes. And they actually say there's no sharp line. By the way, they have a very sharp line because they have a big fence and you can't go beyond it because they know that they would probably kill you. Because your, um, your family members would come after you. <laughs> that's right. Your family members would kill They'd you. They'd turn on you. <laughs> um, so so the, the, the point is the Bible makes it very clear we're distinct from the creation. We're distinct from animals. We're, we're beings who are made in God's image to be able to communicate with him. We think abstractly and... Uh, and to have a relationship with God. Um, and so that is very different to the animals. And so that's the first you know, thing that we really need to understand. Uh, the Bible makes that very, very clear. And then the Bible tells us we have dominion over the creation, right? Not the creation dominion uh, over us, which is a very, very important distinction because right now, one of the things that uh, that you're seeing is that a lot of our political leaders have the creation having dominion over us and not us having dominion over the creation. Um, and, and when you have the wrong view of the creation and the wrong view of who man is, you're going to make a lot of wrong decisions. You'll, you'll have a wrong worldview. Um, for instance, when it comes to climate change, right? When people say to me, do you believe in climate change? And I say, absolutely, climate's change all the time. Uh, and climates have changed since the flood. But if you don't believe in the flood of Noah's day and the drastic climate change that caused and the generation of the ice age and the climate changes that have caused and as the ice age has waned over time and, uh, as, and all the climate change that's caused and the fact we live in a fallen world because of our sin, if you don't understand any of that and have that as your foundation, you're going to make the wrong decisions about things. So if you don't start from God's word in Genesis, you make wrong decisions. You see this you see this every day in in uh, other areas too. Well, you know, when it comes to environmental issues, for instance, I oh know I might be getting off track here, but when it comes to environmental issues, um, like in California, there are environmentalists that succeeded in stopping them from clearing undergrowth because basically they have this philosophy, everything natural is good. Well the Bible makes it clear everything natural, so to speak, is cursed, right? Mm. It is not good because the whole creation is cursed and it's affected by sin, which means that if a fire is going through Yellowstone, whereas, you know, these environmentalists said, let it go because it's natural, we can't touch it, we can't do anything, and then it destroys all these forests because fire in that situation is not good and man has given dominion so we should be controlling it for man's good for god's glory and to look after the environment actually it's the environment these evolutionary based environmentalists that are abusing the creation and you know some of these fires that they've had in california and that could have been controlled had we had a different worldview the, the, the same goes for a lot of what's happening right now, with, and I'm not going to get into politics and political about it, but the defund the police movement and releasing people from jail, because the, a lot of the philosophy is man is basically good. 
And because man is basically good, then if we just put the right environment on these people that have done really bad things, they're going to be good and it's going to help them. Well, the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Uh, our heart is not good. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. I mean, our heart is is against God. And so if we have the wrong view of who man is, um, then we'll have a wrong worldview in how to deal uh, with with issues of crime and and so it goes on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and when you consider that the more that we have a lot of our political leaders so emotional about protecting children, protecting killing children in the womb, um, to sacrifice children in the womb, but then they know it's a life. They know it's human. They know that. Um, but, but then why should life out of the womb be treated any different? Mm. Uh, and what about people as they get older? I mean, that's why we see the euthanasia stuff coming in more and more because, well, then you get to a stage, you're useless to the culture and all the rest of it because they don't have the view of man that they should. So I, I don't know whether that's answering the question you asked, but I, I'm really trying to get us to have that right foundation. Yeah, I think it touches on a lot of really important issues. I mean, it's all a perversion of God's design of creation. That's basically what it is, and we can't, and we can't ever um, say that enough. We can never go back to the original design enough to show people that something is not in keeping with original design. I mean, you mentioned abortion. That goes right back exactly like what you, how, you, how we started out the discussion. Everything goes back to Genesis 1 through 11 and abortion, okay? You don't murder the image of God. I mean, now in California, I mean, you know— all all bad all bad things come from California, but and now in California, they're they're in they're advancing perinatal uh, uh, abortion, so post birth abortion up to one month. It's almost passed, and I forgot the name of the bill, the name the exact name of the bill. But I mean, that's that's where we're at. Where once you reject the creator and creature distinction and relationship, I mean, you pervert. The very foundational view of even what man is, and hey, and, and you know what, and those yeah. things. Yep. Use the word perversion, and I've used that in this way, and you, you've said it. I, I just say it in a, in a different way. If you take everything that God has created and ordained, and right there in Genesis one to eleven, the foundation for it all, the devil perverts it, so everything turns opposite, basically to what it should be. So you think about it. Man is made in God's image. Um, so what does the devil do? Man is just an animal, right? Um, and because man is made in God's image, we don't murder a human being. Uh, and, and the devil takes that and turns it around. You know, you're just an animal, so, you know, get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids. What's the difference? Marriage. Marriage is a man, a woman takes that, perverts it turns it around. In fact, did you know for the first time in American history, the Congress has already passed um, a bill to uh, get rid of the Defense of Marriage Act and to redefine marriage. And they're, they're at, at the time I'm talking to you anyway, uh, there's news reports that they want to get it to the Senate um, before the midterm elections in, in America and if this bill is passed, it totally redefines marriage. And it means it also has in that bill a clause 
where um, people can launch a civil uh, civil uh, action, a lawsuit against a person, if if they basically if you speak against gay marriage or it means. A, 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 an LGBT person could take a pastor to court or could take you if you're talking to them and say you, you, marriage is one man and one woman. I mean, this is going. This is so anti-Christian and it's going to come against Christians in a big way and, and non-profit organisations lose their tax, status, tax deductibility status, tax-exempt status and so on. But it's a perversion of, of marriage, um, a perversion of man-made in the image of God, a perversion of... A dominion, that man has dominion over the creation and perverts it in the other way. Um, even when it comes to work, there's a doctrine of work. Even before the fall, man was told to work, to work in the garden, to tend to the garden. But after the fall, it's a different sort of work. Now it's a really hard work, earn your food in the sweat of your brow and so on. But but the government today wants to pay you not to work. And people, you know, all the younger generations think they can get everything for nothing without hard work. You think about it. Every single thing that God has done, the devil takes it and perverts it. Exactly right. Exactly right. And you're seeing the way that they're taking this perversion, even in society, uh, in so many different directions. I mean, environmentalism is currently the biggest social movement on the planet. Um, There are two million environmentalist-focused movements right now, organizations, it's, it's amazing to me, it's almost the height of this perversion, that in the very name of creation itself, they're using the very creation that God gave to turn it in against humanity, to pervert God's design in every conceivable way. Exactly like you said, I mean, reversing the, manda- or the, 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 um, the notion of dominion, where we are, yep. now made to, we are now made to serve the creation instead of the creation being for, for man's good pleasure and those kinds of things. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I, one of the things I've always appreciated about Answers in Genesis and you can is that you guys have always approached things from the worldview level because mm-hmm. this is all owing to a defective worldview. How, uh, how do you see Christian worldview impacting the culture right now and what are some of the most pertinent issues, as you see it, um, that we need to, as, 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 as the church, that we need to focus on thinking of it from a worldview level? Well, you know, first of all, here's a big problem. Most Christians have no idea what it means to, uh, to have a biblical worldview. Mm. Um, it's interesting, uh, some of our friends that um, are involved in an organization that for years has been doing re- research into Christian education um, from a, a biblical worldview perspective, they say the latest research shows that with Christian schools, less than 6% teach a true biblical worldview. Um, you know, one of the things we've done, our eldest daughter actually, she, had a, she was a nurse, but she had a real heart for, for trying, to, trying to raise up generations with a true biblical worldview. And so she founded her own Christian school. We call it Answers Academy, and it's really growing. And it's a discipleship school, so we don't just let anybody in. But we need to be raising up generations who really have what we call a true biblical worldview. You know, I, I just find that this is so foreign to a lot of people. A lot of Christians tend to look on the Bible as sort of, it's out here somewhere. You know, it's, it's a guidebook to life. It's a book about relationships, spiritual things, moral things. They don't, they don't seem to understand 
that the Bible is a revelation from God who is infinite knowledge and wisdom, you know, Colossians 1 in Christ who hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's the foundation for our worldview. You know, let me give you an example. Years and years and years ago, one of the questions I kept getting asking at conferences, how do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? How do you fit dinosaurs into the Bible? And I realized one day, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer the question in a different way than I was previously. And so the next time I was asked that question, how do you fit dinosaurs into the, dinosaurs into the Bible? I said, you don't. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I believe there were dinosaurs. We find their bones and so on. Um, you don't fit them into the Bible. If you truly understand what it means to have a Christian worldview, you start with what God has revealed to us in Genesis 1 to 11 to build the right way of thinking to understand dinosaurs. In other words, God made all the kinds of land animals according to their kinds uh, on the sixth day of creation. That would have included what we today call dinosaurs because the word wasn't even invented until 1841. And so when that word was invented, it was used to take a certain number of those kinds of land animals and class them as dinosaurs. They're a subset of all the land animals, land animal kinds God created. We know that they're all vegetarian before the fall, Genesis 1, verse 30, all animals were. Sin changed everything, right? And Genesis 3, we know the fall of man. And then death came into the world because of sin, uh, and then we know there was an event called the flood of Noah's day, two of each kind, seven pairs of some, land-dwelling animal went on the ark. So even all those we call dinosaurs went on the ark. Um, those that didn't were drowned. Many of them turned into fossils. And then they, uh, the living ones came off the ark. And, and in a world after the flood, because of climate change and all sorts of other factors and animals killing each other, people killing them, a lot of animals have died out. In other words, when you start from the foundation of God's word, you have the right way of thinking. You, you think about one of the most asked questions today, how can there be a loving God with all the death and suffering in the world? And so even Christians will say, when you see someone dying, when you see disease, you see tragedy, how do you fit that in with, with a loving God? No, 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 you got it wrong. You start from God's word and realize, wait a minute, we caused this. We sinned against a holy God. Death is a result of sin. God sent his son to save us from what we did. Our rebellion in, in Adam has alienated us from, from our creator. We'd be alienated forever from our creator. He wants us to spend forever with him. So he's provided a way of us to be saved from what we did. A loving God, he loves us so much, he could have left us in our, in our horrible position. He could eliminate us altogether. He could destroy us altogether. But he loved us so much, he came to pay the penalty for our sin. See, when you start from Scripture, it, it gives you the right way of thinking. And you've got to do the same when you're talking about so-called races. There's only one race. We all go back to Adam and Eve. And, and you know, we've got the, the right foundation there. And the, the interesting thing is I've looked at so many children's books, children's books, illustrations about the Bible or Genesis, and they'll have poodles in the Garden of Eden and Holstein cows. I don't know why Holstein cows, it always seems to be Holstein cows. And you say, why is that? You know, and people say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? See, here's the problem. Here's what the secularists do. Hey, kids, your parents, your church told you God made all the, all the land animal kinds, uh, all the land animals? Yes. But he couldn't have. Why not? Because 
we know poodles have only come into existence in the last few hundred years, you know, um, because dogs change and so on, and change is evolution. And Holstein cows, uh, they're a modern species too, so therefore God didn't make all the animals we see. Because, see, Christians haven't taught them correctly. God made the original kinds. Kinds were represented on the ark. They come off the ark, form different species. And if you haven't taught them the correct history, then the secularists can lead them astray. And then it's not just to do with all of that as well. It's also to do with the fact that you want to have a, a right worldview. To, how do you decide what's right and what's wrong? You've got to start from God's word. How, well, what about marriage? Marriage actually comes from the Bible. We've got to start from God's word. So in other words, a true Christian worldview is not adding God to your thinking. It's starting from the Bible in the first 11 chapters in particular. And then you've got the key information to have the right way of thinking so it doesn't matter what the topic is, you might know all the details and technical details, but you realize you can always give a big picture answer once you've got the right foundation. And so thinking foundationally and teaching people to think foundationally has been missing from much of the church and our Sunday schools and Bible studies and youth groups and Christian schools and equipping them with apologetics. That means giving them answers to the skeptical questions so they can defend the Christian faith when you understand your thinking has a foundation and you realize there's only two foundations ultimately, God's word and man's word, you either start from the one who knows everything or else it's man's word, then you will also understand there's no neutral position. So when the Freedom From Religion Foundation come along, that group of atheist bullies from Wisconsin, and say you can't have nativity scenes or crosses in these places because you're imposing the Christian religion. You say, oh, yeah, I guess we are. They remove them. Now they're neutral. No, now they've imposed their atheism on the culture. That's what's happening. And the same has happened in the public schools. We think if you take the Bible out of the public schools, we're taking religion out. No, everyone has a religion because everyone has a worldview. So atheists have a religion. Atheists try to tell you they don't have a religion. They don't believe in God. They have a worldview. It's an anti-God religion. It's based on naturalism. Um, it's basically that man is the centre of all things. See, people haven't been taught correctly. They haven't been taught worldview. And so they don't think in the right way. And that's why many Christians are just floundering, not knowing what to do. All right, excellent. And, you know, I want to transition here with the, just with the time that I have left with you, Ken. I want to talk about for Christians who are, you know, maybe becoming... Um, skeptical of of you know biblical creation. I want to say young Earth creation, but is that actually proper? It's just biblical creation, right? I mean, you call it young or young or old. Uh, it is what the Bible says that it is. <laughs> it was cre you know the creation, well, literal creationism yeah, I, or something like that. I like to yeah. I, I tell people I'm a biblical creationist. In other words, I start from the Bible. I personally don't like the term young Earth creationist. Right? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe in a young earth. But young earth is not the issue. That, you know, people think, oh, what Answers in Genesis is all about, we're on about a young earth and we're anti evolution. No, we're on about the authority of Scripture and a consequence, if you like, of starting with God's word is things can't be millions of years old. You can't have death before sin. God created everything in six days. He's given us these genealogies. We can add, a, add them up in the Bible. We can come to about 6,000 years. In other words, the, the reason I believe in a young earth is because I start from Scripture, right? Oh, yeah. In other words, it's not young earth first. It's Scripture first. 
Okay, so uh, as a student of Scripture is grappling with these issues, perhaps they're reading something on the internet, perhaps they're reading something from who knows, a you know, uh, you know, a um, you know, a person that believes in uh, you know theistic evolution or something like that. What are some of the consequences of that pursuit? What are what are the problems inherent in pursuing something like? A, a a biblical worldview uh, combined with you know uh, evolutionary principles, millions of years, and things like that. Because um, the one one of the things that stands out to me is that you know prevailing a current Darwinian evolutionary models, they all tell us that life began out of the out of the ocean, out of the out of the water. But Scripture teaches that vegetation was created first. Um, what other con- what other contradictions, problems? Um, you mentioned some of them already, but I I just want people to be really challenged before they before they begin to crack the door open on that kind of thinking. That th- these are the cautions, these are the warnings, these are the problems you're going to encounter if you go down that road. Well, you know, first of all, I just want to remind people something I said earlier about the issue of authority. Are you starting outside of Scripture to reinterpret God's Word, or you're starting with Scripture and then judge what people are saying according to Scripture, right? That's what we've got to do. Um, uh, if you take the Big Bang, a lot of Christians will say, what's wrong with believing in the Big Bang? In fact, I've heard pastors say, in the beginning God created, isn't that the Big Bang? Well, no. First of all, the Big Bang is an idea to explain the universe that came out of naturalism, it came out of atheism. Why would you want to take an idea born out of atheism and try to add that to the Bible? But then look at what the Big Bang model teaches. The stars were formed, and then the sun, and then the earth is a hot modern blob that cools down for millions of years. What does the Bible teach? The earth was created covered with water. It wasn't a hot modern blob. The sun wasn't made till day four. It was to be the light bearer for the day that already existed. And, you know, and then when people say to me, well, how can you have day and night without the sun? You don't need the sun for day and night. You need light and darkness. What have you got on day one? Let there be light. Divided the light from the darkness. You got light and darkness. And God even defines what a day is. And then when people say, well, where did the light come from? Guess what? I don't know. God didn't tell me. But if God told me everything, I'd have an infinite number of books and I wouldn't get through them, right? He, he's given us what we need to know and nothing is contradictory. And you can go through, if you look at, you know, you mentioned, if you believe in evolution, life began in the oceans. The Bible says, no, the, the first uh, life that God made was plant life. And that was made uh, on day three. Um, and, you know, the evolutionists, uh, would have fish before fruit trees. Uh, the, the Bible has fruit trees before fish because all the sea creatures are made on day five. Um, evolutionists say dinosaurs evolved into birds. Well, dinosaurs were land animals. Birds are flying creatures. The Bible says birds were made before dinosaurs. They were made on day five. Uh, and, and so it goes on. Um, 
innumerable you, know, man, you, you encounter innumerable contradictions. Oh, yes. If you start moving around the days, well, maybe man wasn't created on day six either. And then, then what? The, what's the purpose of the Sabbath? Because the Sabbath tells us six days you work, seven on the seventh day you will rest. And so then right. you lose the symmetry of the Sabbath. You begin to tinker around with the order that God revealed. You you're in big trouble. Oh, really big trouble. And you know uh, what about? People who say, I've actually talked to ministers and say, well, I believe the dust represented an ape that God breathed into to become a man. Okay, well, the Bible says uh, God made Eve from man's rib. Tell me what rib means. If dust means an ape man, what does rib mean? (laughs) And if you're going to say, well, must mean an ape woman. Okay, what does it mean you become one because you're one flesh? Because Adam's word were, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. What do you do with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, who twice says, woman came from man? And if the dust represents an ape, the Bible says, from dust we come into dust we return when we die. What ape do we return to when we die? See, none of it makes any sense. Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. And this and this begins to really, when you tease this out, and when you start fleshing out the implications of this, um, can this... This begins to really affect your gospel. This mm-hmm. actually begins to, to, to now tamper with the symmetry between Christ and Adam. Yeah, because Jesus Christ is called the last Adam. He takes the place of the first Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So the first Adam through sin brought death, but the last Adam through his death brings life. And that life-giving spirit, that we're to be born again of that Uh, life-giving spirit. And, you know, I've also met many pastors who have said, look, when people bring up evolution millions of years, it's just a red herring. Don't even deal with Genesis. Just tell them about Jesus. How do you go out and preach the gospel without without Genesis? I mean, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Why did he die? Well, death was a penalty for sin. Why is that? Where'd that come from? Well, just believe it. You're a sinner. Where did sin come from? Why am I a sinner? Don't worry about that. Just trust in Jesus. I mean, if you don't start from Genesis, how do you explain the gospel? Exactly right. You, the gospel loses its context, and all of a sudden, you, you don't have a rationale for what it is that Jesus came to do as the last Adam. And uh, it's, just, it's just remarkable. Wish we had all the, day, all the time in the world uh, with Ken Ham to talk about all these issues, but he's given us um, a tremendous amount of, of, of information and theology and, and biblical input to inform our biblical worldview. And so we're, we're very grateful for him, and we appreciate uh, his coming on the show. Maybe next time, Ken, you'll come back on, and we'll talk about how futurists— and tech technology uh, gurus today, transhumanists, are now talking about bypassing evolution and self-evolving. That would make for an interesting conversation. Uh, maybe you'd like to join me for something like that in the future. Well, I think, uh, yeah, they're trying to make the bionic man who they think's going to live forever. I got news for everybody. Is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. You're not going to stop it. You, you just sort, you just short-circuited my episode. So. <laughs> I have to find some more content uh, to talk about. But, uh, this was great. Ken, uh, thank you so much uh, for that. 
And uh, for all our listeners, uh, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of Christ and Kingdom. Be sure and look at our previous episodes that many of them actually uh, join up to this conversation about creation. And so make sure and look at the previous episodes for that. But until then, make sure you uh, share, subscribe, and enjoy the shows that we produce here at Christ and Kingdom. God bless you all.